This is The Rabbit Hole with Gary Lyon and Tim Watson for tyre power. Their buying power puts the power in your lane. Follow us on Twitter at Rabbit Hole SEN. Great to have you with us, episode 22, uh, The Rabbit Hole for tyre power. Winter safety sale is now on, 25% off equivalent with four for three on selected Falcon tyres. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at The Rabbit Hole SEN or any of the good places you go to get your rabbit hole or you go to get your um, podcast. G'day, Whispers. You go to <laughs> you get, your, go rabbit get your rabbit holes. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> hey, bud. Hey, 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 buddy boy. Hey, bud. Have you bumped into anybody yet that uh, is actually listening to this? Yep. How well, many? Good four. A good four. Yep. Three Family sons. members? Three sons. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, they quite like it. Do they? What do they like about I it? I think of the rambling nature of uh, it. Just okay. the fact that we're not really sure. Well, I know what they do love the most. What do they love? Farming. Ah, yes. There's a big regional audience out there that love it. And uh, Thai Power love it. They're our sponsors. And they love it. So that's the main thing. And right now, with the winter on, go and get yourself uh, sorted. Free five-minute tyre safety check. So go in, get it sorted. And if you want to get some new tyres, 25% off the uh, four for three on the selected Falcons. Cheap at half the price. What's going on with you? Um, Today's uh, Wednesday the 19th, so got Test Match Cricket. For me, because Nicky's away, Yes, this is manna from heaven for me. I've got Test Match tonight. Tomorrow night, the Test match will still be on. Then you can throw in Australia Island for the World Cup women's and the British Open starts. And then the next day, you've got British Open, cricket, AFL football on the weekend. Smorgasbord. That's just that is a smorgasbord. Snap, 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 one after the other. Where will Garrity's eyes go with all that going on? Start, um, 8 o'clock, start with a cricket. You're a cricket man first. Yep, so see who's batting. Oh, well, tonight it's just the cricket. Mm. And then uh, tomorrow, the Women's World Cup, for sure. So I'll have a good look at that, see how the girls go there. Then over to the cricket, and then the footy starts. There's no Thursday night footy this week. No Thursday night, no. So then on the, oh, well, I'll be working on Friday night, but excuse me. It is a big week, big, big weekend of sport. Have you been surprised by the public reaction to the Women's World Cup, in particular the Australian team to this point? Like it was a massive game last Friday night at Marvel Stadium, a sellout. Yeah, just a friendly. Yeah, Yeah, but a a sellout, a sellout nonetheless. I'm not surprised it sold out, no. No, but is that what you're asking? Yeah, and the reaction to it, though, here in Australia. No, because it's a World Cup, Mm. so the prestige is undeniable. Uh, the game itself is popular enough. Like um, soccer is, I know how many people love soccer throughout yep. the world, and we're good. So you throw all those things all in those. the mix, yep. then you're going to get an audience. And the fact that, uh, like Sam Kerr has a profile, athletic profile, and profile like a public profile, probably as great as any other athlete or person in the country. Like she is so well known. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so she's best in the world, or arguable. I don't know enough about it, but I know she's in the best handful. So, yeah, all of that adds up to an Australian sporting public who's going to get right behind it and support it. And if we knock over Ireland and we look like we're going to go through to the next round or the Mm. finals or semis, whatever it is, it will become the biggest thing in town, in the country by a mile. By a mile, by a country mile. You and I aren't experts in the game well, of soccer or the women's game, but we're right behind it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we, you, you, know, you get criticised, oh, yeah, you guys are joining come point. lately, you're Good jumping point. on board now, but no, it's Australia. If, Glad you brought this If up. there was a bowls tournament here in Australia right now, a World Cup, and we're competing, I would be there barracking as hard as I possibly could for Australia. Yeah, no, that's not true. I don't believe you'd. I, uh, I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm 
fully on board with you. But you don't believe me. But not the bowls. Not the World Cup of bowls. Okay, we'll say that was an extreme example. That's a stupid thing. <laughs> stupid by you. Right, you I'll... lost all credibility. <laughs> I was with you right up until you said that. <laughs> all right, okay. Stupid. I'll go I'll go to a different level then. Okay? Well, the Won't... Nipple World Cup's coming on. We okay, are... the nipple. Yeah, but we're not going nuts over that. We take a good interest and we support it, but we don't. You're not going to sit down in front of the TV and watch it. I watched the basketball. I watched the yes. women's. I watched the men's. I was invested as basketball. much as I possibly could. Be. Basketball. Okay, I'm using basketball now yeah. as an example, but I wouldn't watch the domestic competition week in week out. The no, WNBL. It's I a much watch better that. analogy. The other one was really. Silly. Yeah, no, it was a poor analogy, <laughs> but I'm glad you corrected me on that. So the point is, the bigger mainstream sports of which we are participants in, and involved in a World Cup, then yes, we're all in. And we had a crit- someone criticised us on radio, which we take very well because we've got used to criticism over the journey. But they said, you blokes are just bandwagon jumpers and you wouldn't know one player apart from Sam Kerr. Well, I do now yep. and I'll learn more about them. And yes, you're dead right. We are bandwagon. Oh, well, I am a bandwagon jumper. Yep. Uh, you no know, question. You know the tradeswoman, don't you? Caitlin Ford, I know. No, not that one. That's the car manufacturer. Carpenter? Yes, Ellie Carpenter. Ellie Carpenter. You know Ellie, don't you? I do. I know. I know. And Gwen Plummer? I don't need a plumber. No, I think she used to be the coach of the netball team. Mary she, Fowler? The, yeah, yeah, Chook. Is it Mary? Yeah, Chook, yeah. yeah. It is Mary, yeah. And Murph? Yeah. Katrina Gorey? Yeah, there so you I've go. Got to know you got them all written down in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> no. I but, know we will, but the important thing is, you know, at the beginning of the Olympic Games, yeah. it would be true to say that a lot of people don't know any of the Australian athletes who are, like, those that just have a passing interest. Yeah. By the end of it, you know everything about every one of those athletes. And so what if you and don't? And your interest grows and grows and grows because you're patriotic. So for those people who follow, you know, the women's Matildas regularly every week mm. and wherever they are, and you know them all backwards. I say, good on you. We're not trying to steal your limelight. We're jumping on with you. We're mm. supporting it with you. And when the games are over, we'll uh, jump off, probably. Uh, well, well, no, we'll still have a foot on, but not... Yeah, but not the same. I mean, yeah. this is a meaningful competition, and that's why we're so invested in it yeah, and so engaged. Would you prefer all the rusted-on <clears throat> Matildas to say, listen, we only want rusted-ons to support us in the World Cup because we've been with them the whole way. Of course they don't. They want Australia to get behind. They want they, they want yeah. us to get behind the Well girls. said. No, well, well said. Thanks. I'm just thinking now, I think Gwen Plummer, I think she might have been the maid in the Brady Bunch. That may have, you know. Gwen the, Plummer? Was that her name? Alice. Alice, yeah. I think her real name was Gwen Plummer. That'd be a great I game. don't know where I pulled that from. Did you say Gwen Plummer's a Matilda? <laughs> not, in my, not on my list, she's not. <laughs> not, not. Not on your watch. Do Are you, you like I, the Brady Bunch? Yeah, I used to love the Brady Bunch. Well, give me your number one episode of the Brady Bunch. Well, I can't remember the episode. I love them all. I love Ralph the Butcher. What? Well, Ralph and- Him and Alice. Alice. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I know that, that was documented. <laughs> no, it wasn't documented. Yes, it was. Anyway, what about this episode in the Brady Bunch? Mum always says, don't play ball in the house. Remember that one? No, I don't. That was when the basketball came down the banister, down the stairs, down those and stairs. knocked over their f- famous oh, not the vase. Oh, I and do then they that stuck it me. together with the glue, yeah. put it back, and then old mate uh, Carol and Mike came home from holidays, and they fill the vase up, and all the kids are looking at it with sweat coming down their brow, mm. and then all of a sudden, a little bit of water, shh, 
spurted out one side, a little bit of water spurt. Can you remember that? Yeah, I do now. I do now. I do know that now. I loved it. Apparently, you had a Cindy um, poster up on your wall, did you, when you were a kid? I think I was more a Marsha. I think I was more a Marsha man than you a got Cindy. a Cindy look about you. You know the great, um, the great uh, rumor about all that, don't you? No, it wasn't a rumor. No, it was. And what was it? That Greg was with Marsha. No, um, the mum. Yeah. Um, what was her name? What did you say her name? Mike and uh, Carol. Yeah. Well, Greg's real name is Barry Williams. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the batter. And anyway, I read somewhere where Carol, the mum, mm. so it was it was almost reported as fact that they had an affair, and she said, no, look, he, he had an infatuation with me, and I let him take me to the movies one day, or, or when it, we took him out for dinner, and it was very sweet. But We shared some popcorn. But nothing nothing went on. Okay. I'll give you another. I'll give you another um, show. <laughs> this episode. is genuine rabbit holes. When they went to Hawaii, yes, I remember and that. Greg one. stood on the stonefish. Yeah. Yes, yes, he, he killed himself. That's right. All the boys got a lay over there, didn't they? <laughs> I don't think Bobby did. I don't think Bobby. I don't. I don't think Bobby had it in him at that stage. You're only a wee little fella, Bob, at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, how, how did we, we get, get, on, how how get onto that topic? I don't know how we went down uh, you and I've been watching the. Uh, I wanted to talk about this because we've both been watching this series, the same series. I put you onto this, the quarterback series. I'm sweating. Uh, which is the NFL uh, quarterback series? Yeah, great. Fe- featuring the Patrick ESPN. Mahomes, um, uh, cousins, Kirk cousins, Kirk Cousins, and uh, Marcus Mariota. And it, it's been fascinating, hasn't yeah. it? The different personalities of the three. Mm. But they touched on something that I want to talk to you about. And you know, I've never, ever discussed this. But it was Kirk Cousins talking about confidence and about, you know, like in that game, if you make an error, like they're massive mistakes that you can make because that can lead to a turnover because you throw the ball into the wrong coverage and that type of thing and it's returned for a, a touchdown. And he was talking about how difficult it is. He was sitting down talking to his uh, – Quarterback coach? Sports psychologist, no, no, no guy, fuck, yeah. talking about letting go of negativity while you're out there, you know, clearing your mind really quickly. And I was, I was thinking while I was watching that, you know – and I don't know why this is the case. You don't know why you are programmed the way you are. You don't know that, right? You just either grow up being something yep. or you don't. I know you can improve your skills and you can improve your mental capacity, all that type of thing. But that was not something that I ever struggled with. You know, like when you make a mistake, just to put it to one side and then just move on. Like I could move on really oh, quickly. You, like you, straight away, I could just say, okay, well, you know, I stuffed that up. I know yeah. I stuffed that up. I shouldn't have kicked the ball right, there. I right. kicked it to the opposition or I yep. ambled the ball to the wrong place or I missed a goal or whatever. I didn't hold on to stuff like that for any amount of time whatsoever. Mm. I just cleared my head. And I was thinking, why do you do that? Like how come that comes sort of like naturally to you? Mm. It's not something they ever worked on. So why is it that some yeah. people can just do that and other people actually have to go through a process of trying to eliminate it? Yeah. Oh, well, did you? Were you like that as well? Um, no, I would. Oh, you probably, probably didn't make any mistakes. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish. No, I would. I'd get angry at myself. At yourself? Yeah, but I don't think I held on to it. But I would let the anger drive me a bit. 
probably more so than it sounds like from you. You just sort of didn't revisit it by the sounds of it, which is a great trait to have. No, but I could, I could, uh, I could reel off every mistake I made at the end of the game. I could say, you yeah, know, I it, stuffed that up and I stuffed that up, but it was I, gone. It, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't affect me to the point where it made it more difficult for me to go for the next ball or take the same kick, you know, two minutes later or five minutes later or whatever yeah. it was. Well, that that'd be so. We didn't have psychologists back when we were playing, but if you if I was your psychologist to sit down with you and that, I'd say that's that's the best trait to have that you can possibly have. Yeah. And if you you were wide, obviously you're wide like that because you didn't have to work at it. It just, yep, made a mistake. Good, get on. Not good. Yeah. Move on. Next next one. So because what you said was really interesting. If the same opportunity presented itself, whether it was a kick inside the corridor or you know you mm. go, I'll go again without. Whereas from a goal kicking point of view. A lot of people would be going, bang, miss, oh, and now what sort of day am I in for? But, oh, and missed again. Mm. I didn't really feel like that from a goal-kicking point of view, which is not to say I, I kicked every goal, but I was confident enough in I knew what I was doing and where I was going and how I was supposed to kick it. It didn't always work out because of execution or mm. the ball drop or the wind or whatever. But I understood it, and I think that's what it comes down to, is if you understand what it is you're trying to do, then you won't dwell on the mistake. But if, you, if things are happening and you're going – I don't know what. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that ball going? That's why I always say goal kickers who miss to both sides have got the biggest problem in the world. Yeah, because I don't know what's happening. That's exactly the way I look. At it. No, I agree with that. But were you ever were you ever uh, restricted or constricted by fear of failure? Um, yeah. Yeah, not when it, yeah, yeah. Did yep. that play in your mind? Yep. Fear of fear of failure in as much like I always worried about the result. I never went into a game thinking, oh, this is gonna be easy for us to win. I always respected the opposition and what we're about to do, but I never feared failing in no. in, in that no, I did. regard. Yeah, I did. Because that, that to me that is the confidence in, um, element. So when you're playing really well, you don't. When you when your form's good and you're executing, then you don't because that's confidence. You got the com- I don't care who it is. I'll play against you or him mm. or them or on these conditions or on that ground. I'm con- when you're in a bit of a form slump, and this is this is why the game becomes over over the shoulders. Ideally, we'd be like you. No, it doesn't matter. I made that mistake last week or the week before. Yeah. But if you've had an accumulation of poor form, well, then your confidence drops, and then you start to go, well, I don't know if I can. Did you get into a trough at some stage? Yeah, um, yeah. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, well, you might. <laughs> Not well, it would have un- been fleeting, wouldn't it? Like yeah, very. Like a quarter here and there. No, 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 no. You can go. Did you get into a slump? You can go through. Yeah, I would have for sure. Hundred percent, I would have in um, in my career. And a lot of it is goal related. Like in the end, it was because res- I went from being a someone that was. Primary function wasn't to kick goals, yeah. it was to do, but then towards the end of my career, I went back to full forward and right. it was basically to kick goals. So you gauged your game by how many goals well, you kicked? Well, if we lost and I didn't kick goals, right. then yeah, I'd take responsibility for that. So you didn't rate what you do right now. It's interesting because as a commentator, right, you rate all the things outside kicking a goal as almost as heavily as you do kicking a goal, like bringing the ball to yep. ground and competing against yep. one or two. But as a player, you didn't actually see your own game through that prism. No, I still did. That was not – you had to do all that other stuff non-negotiably. But if I well, – I was of the opinion in the end I didn't like playing full forward. That was not where I wanted to play. But if I did, and I was – back in those days, you were a full forward for four quarters. Yeah. Then if I played full forward for four quarters and I hadn't kicked, you know, at least two or three or four goals, then I didn't do my job. That's the way I saw it. 
I could set them up and all that right. sort of stuff and do whatever else. But you also, if you're spending 120 minutes in that area of the ground, your job is to kick goals. Did you ever then go and see a sports psychologist? No, I never. Did you have one at Melbourne that you could have uh, used? La- not early, not later in the year, later. Mm. I, I would very much have benefited from, mm. call it sports psychologist, I don't care what, you know, I've spoken to Ben Crow, who's a you know friend, yep. you know, we know, friends, post-career about life. And that conversation was unbelievably important for me in life that I would now look back and go, geez, I wish I'd had that yeah. when I was playing. Yeah. If I had that amount of wisdom or those tools to be able to deal with things in that manner as a footy player, I would have been much better off. Yeah. yeah. No, and and it goes to motivation too. I wanted yeah. to ask you about motivation. Like I, I, when I was watching that stuff, I, I would ask you of those three, so you had – Mahomes, the best player in the competition. Kirk Cousins, an older, uh, not a journeyman, but less flamboyant, let's say. Mm. And then Marcus Mariota, who was from Hawaii, won the Heisman Trophy, the most talented kid out of college, number one draft pick. Mm. Which of those three did you relate to most with? Um, A combination of the three. Yeah, but if I had to say one, which one? (sighs) Well, when I played, I probably had more of the confidence of Mahomes. Mm in terms of the way that I approached the game. So how did you? This is, I, I don't know. This See, this is, is the deep, point. Right? I was watching that and I'm thinking, where does that come from? Because I had all that when I was a kid playing in the country as well. Like I never, ever thought that I didn't belong. And this is not an arrogant thing to say, but I never, ever thought I didn't belong when I played footy. Whether I was playing and I was year, in year seven playing against the year 12s or whatever, or I was playing 15 years of age in the AFL or VFL, I never thought like – Oh, I shouldn't be out here. See, this I always is a, thought that I should be out there. This is what I Where love, does that come from, though? I love about this podcast, because this is – I never thought I was going down this hole, but now I've got you here. You playing footy at 15 at AFL or VFL level, I wonder, did you – like, you would have been – if you had not played VFL footy when you were 15, you, the, you would have been the dominant player anywhere you went whether it was at Dimboola, whether it was for the Wimmera League and the schoolboys, these are all the things you missed out on, mm. or the Victorian schoolboys, or whatever it is. You would have just been that far. So your sense of where you were you know, comes about because you're the best, right? And then you have to deal with But you went into AFL footy when you were 15. Yeah. So how did you get your confidence? And how but did you get your – I don't know where that came from because I didn't grow up in a family whereby we were fed confidence as kids. Yeah. It was the opposite, it's if amazing. anything. But when I was playing, like I was never, I was never the best in any of the competitions I played in because I was always playing because you're ten years ab- younger than above everyone. my age, exactly. But it was great for me because I never dominated like no. junior footy because of the fact that I was younger. And then when I played school football and I was playing, say, you know, against the year elevens and twelves, yeah. and I was in year seven, it was like. Well, that's good because I'm enjoying this competition. You know, I'm I'm really enjoying playing against all these other older kids. And yeah. when I went into VFL and I was 15 and I was breaking my neck to play, I was never thinking oh, I shouldn't be playing yeah. as a 15 year. I didn't even think of myself as a 15 year old, oh, but wh- I was well, playing against men. But isn't that a great question to ponder as you're listening to this? And people may not have been aware of your story. Yeah, when so compared to me, right? So when I'm 15, I'm playing. Goulburn Valley under-16 schoolboys as the greatest challenge of my life to that day because I'm playing against the other best kids in the Goulburn Valley or against the best kids. And that, to me, is a challenge. So 
I never got ahead of myself because I just had to keep striving because I wasn't the best. But I, you know, but I was playing against kids my yeah. age. You had to form that at the same age playing at the best competition in the land. Yes, but I wasn't thinking about I that. I know you weren't. but I was, I was exactly the same as you were. It was just the challenge of going out there and playing each week, which was the same challenge that I felt at every stage of my junior yeah. development. Well, that's a There's ma- still a challenge there that's the staggering to go out thing. there and compete. That is, you've got that same challenge. And then you, let me take it a step further. So – Confirmation for me, and or affirmation that okay, you're on the right track, and you might have a career, or you might be able to play footy. Is yeah, I kicked you know two against Bendigo, or I got the mm. you know I was awarded the best player against Gippsland. So that's my. How are you getting that against men in the VFL? And this is what, and I know this is embarrassing, but all of a sudden you're kicking six against men and five against men in a competition. Yeah, but you know, in my own mind, I was thinking that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I know you, <laughs> I know you do, but the rest of us out there. But I didn't. Uh, it was just okay. Well, you play and you want to play well and you want to, you know, perform your role. And I got disappointed if I didn't play well. Like anybody would get disappointed if they didn't play well. I got disappointed if we didn't win because I always thought, you know, even when we had a poor team when I first arrived, I always thought when I lined up, you know, we're a chance to win today. It didn't matter who we're playing against. But this is, and this is my, this is my um, inquiring mind as a kid. Yeah. When I had your, this and this is, I'm not saying this to embarrass you, but I genuinely had your poster on my wall because I couldn't get my head around the fact that here I am at 12, here you are, well, I would have been younger. How old are you, 62? I'm So seven, I would have been 10 or nine, and you're playing senior footy. And I'm looking at that every night going, I can't get my head around that. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That, that ma- is a crazy – I might make a document. <laughs> but that, 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 the thing about that is that I wasn't thinking about – some kid thinking about me either. Like no, I, you weren't because you were a kid yourself. I, well, I was just playing, you know. Like I was um, thinking about, you know, getting through uh, school or, you know, you know, doing my plumbing apprenticeship or what, yeah. outside of playing, and then I was turning up at the weekend and playing. It remains one of the – and you went on and had this great celebrated career and you're still in the, in the media and you, you've got this humility now and we have fun and laugh and you've, you're known – your personality to this new generation is the news bloke and the radio bloke who's, who has a laugh and it's great. Go back and stop and think about that. It is still one of the more extraordinary footy stories of the century. I can't, it is an amazing footy story. I don't mean to embarrass you, but it is. And and when I was watching those movies, I'm going, that documentary, because you said to watch it, I'm yeah. thinking, which one of these do you relate to? You can't be the superstar because you weren't able to be the superstar straight away. Like you were never. That, that's, the I guess, the point I'm getting at. Mm. Mahomes the best player in the competition. You were never the best player in the competition until you were the best player in the land. Well, I was never, I was never that really is, that, though. Well, either. no, you, you say you were. I was but, never that. But at one stage you were, or in the argument of, anyway. And that is, to me, mind-blowing. But I find, you know, the, the thing that, getting back to what I find most interesting about all of this, and I know, and I said before, you know, you can, you can improve yourself in every area, right? But where does that actually come from? Why, you know, we're all born a little bit differently. Yeah. And you look at Mahomes and, you know, what he's able to do skillfully, but then also the mental capacity that he has as well to overcome and see things. And, you know, we watch players, we watch Toby Green, and you look at Toby and say, you know, in a critical part of a game, when the game's there to be won, it's in the balance. Why is he able to insert himself on the game the way that he can? Mm. And what does he see things 
differently to everybody else out there. They they are just things that I think you're just born with. I don't think that you can actually teach people some of those things that players have as part of their kit bag. Mm. Do you I, agree with that or yeah, not? Yeah, I do agree with that. I do agree with that because. But then you're born with it. But then you got to you got to activate it. No, that's true. But all the other stuff comes later. Okay. Yeah, but he know you but, can't. That stuff that I'm talking about, you actually. I don't think you can actually give somebody. But if you watch Toby Green when he was twelve. He I probably bet had he played it then. the same way. I, I bet he had it then, yeah. And he played the same. You watched Jack Viney when he was 12. He was smashing, and I knew Jack from the time he was two. Yeah. He was like that his whole life, mm. just smashing through stuff. And and Todd brought him into the change rooms one day as a little kid, running, like we did on a Sunday. Yeah. He ran around and fell out. Like he was always cutting himself and breaking it <laughs> up, and he fell over and hit his head on the concrete that hard. And the whole joint just went, oh. And he looked up and Todd said, don't you cry. And he just took two deep breaths and got up and went off. <laughs> most people, most kids would be in hospital. What, and what's that tell you? <laughs> Look at him. The old man's pretty tough. That's what that well, tells Todd, me. Todd, he was tough. Don't worry about that. He said, don't you dare cry, Jack. Uh, which is not to say he's not in touch with his emotions because he is a great dad as, he, as um, we see each week. So, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting chat. I'm glad we had that chat. The motivation was the one I wanted to ask, though. How did you used to motivate yourself week to week? So, so Mahomes, you can see it. He yeah. took, he would take it personally. Anyone mm. that challenged him. So, a bloke in this stocko, we won't give it away, but he got cleaned up a couple of times, yep. which is the job of the opposition. And he looked at him and sort of said, "Well, you know, that rider, enough's enough." Mm. And then he took over and just just jammed it back down his throat. That's a different motivation to others that would just go about it and go, oh, "Well." I think I relate to that. Yeah. I, I was combative. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I felt the same. Like, I, I was always, um, as old-fashioned as this is, I was always, um, you know, the us against them, it motivated me. Like, the, it, it, it hit an emotional chord with me. Yeah. And that's where Sheeds was really good as a coach too and a motivator. Like, he was often putting stuff up around mm. us being challenged by this group and this player and that type of thing and, you know, Watson, get off your ass and, you know, you're going to have this bloke. Whatever it might have been, you know, like there was always a challenge and I remember him early in the day he motivated me but he gave me this whole – this reference to – you know, I was talking – this is way, way back. I was talking to Alf Brown. Now, anybody listening to this, Alf Brown used to be the Mike Sheen of the day, yeah. of that day or – you know, the the premier football writer of today, right? You know, I was talking to Alf the other day and he said this about you, which was a negative thing about me. <laughs> and I first of all, I thought, well, who in the hell is Alf Brown? <laughs> <laughs> and then I listened to the message behind it, but it was like, you know, it was a negative about... It was a needle. Yeah, it was a needle, exactly. It was, But that motivated me. Yeah. Like, that, that, that hit a chord with me. And that's it. That's the art of coaching too. No good saying that to the bloke who then gets insecure and frets and worries and to the point where he can't play. Yeah, like I was always, I'll show you. Yeah, he like, would have known that that was your response. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's – Did that motivate you too? Or did you have a uh, – did you internally – were you able to bring yourself week in, week out to the level that you needed to be to be motivated personally or did you need something else out there to trigger it? No, with, and I know we muck around with lots of different stuff. By the time the ball bounced, I would say – 226 games I played, 224 times. By the time the ball bounced, I was in the exact, exact frame of mind that I needed to be. How did you work your way into I there? I did. Then? I just built myself up into some <laughs> manic frenzy, and by the time the ball bounced, I was ready to go. In hindsight, I'm 
I used to have really good first quarters. Yeah. Like, Poof! Yeah. In hindsight, I reckon, you know, it's, it's, and then back half sometimes were a problem. Yeah. I reckon I just busted my, just blew my puffer valve <laughs> by the time, you know. And we, that's where a psychologist could work around. It's about, okay, yeah. build up, build up, get ready, yeah. bang. But I was a, you know, ranter and raver and charger and smashing doors, all that sort of shit. I, I used to do all that. For me, but I also thought it helped the team. In hindsight, maybe. I think there's quite a few of the boys who thought I was crazy. It helped you, but maybe it didn't help the rest of the team. We had a guy, a sports psychologist. We had a number of different people that worked with us. We had a guy called Ollie Butaski. Ollie, and his sort of mantra around the game was, you know, you can't be too high, you can't be too low, yeah. right? So you needed to be yeah. around a six or a, yeah, around a five. Yeah, yeah. You know, if yeah. you're perfectly placed mentally, you're around a five, right? So he used to go up to the players, very softly spoken, sort of a bloke, and he'd sort of just sidle up to you and say, where are you at? You know, so if you said, look, I'm at an eight, you need to bring it down a bit. Yeah, you know? if, you're, if you're at a three... You just need to lift it up a bit. So he go to player to player to player. Dean, the late Dean Bailey, who was a very funny, witty sort of a guy, Ollie went up to him one day, said, because Ollie used to say, you ready? And you'd have to say, look, I'm at about an eight, you know, bring it down. At about a three, bring it up, you know. He went up to Dean Bailey and he said, are you ready? Dean said, just got one more boot to put on and I'll be ready. <laughs> that would have mucked Ollie up. He wouldn't know what to say. So that wouldn't have worked for me. I would have said, get out of my road. <laughs> get, get away. With it. Oh, no, there's some rabbit holes. We, we might do it next week. Do you remember Rudy Webster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was Australian cricket as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, he worked with us too. We used to we used to have to sometimes visit him on a Friday night. He'd just sort of say, okay, uh, this player, this player, and this player. So we'd go in threes to visit him at his place just around the corner from Kuyong Tennis Centre there. Yeah, the, the grass yeah. court. So he used yeah. to live just around the corner from there yeah. on a Friday night before the game. Really? And he would- it's a long uh, way from Essendon. Yeah, he'd hypnotise us or try and hypnotise us. Yeah, so he just sort of, we'd have to go, we had three very, very comfortable chairs. There's another rabbit hole. <laughs> did, it, did it work on you? No, it didn't. It no. didn't. It didn't work because we should never have been going there. On Friday with more, night. No, no, with more than one bloke because oh, yeah, it yeah. was just- Fart noise. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, giggling, farting, all that sort of stuff. Next week, we'll, we'll, we might go down the hypnotist <laughs> path next week because we've got to keep moving. You're listening to The Rabbit Hole for tyre power. Get your free five-minute tyre safety check. Welcome back. And when we started talking about the 1990 Grand Final, just on a whim one day, I didn't think we'd be going into our third series, but it just keeps getting bigger. (laughs) The legend of this quarter-time brawl keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, Tim, you told us that at the time you were particularly thirsty, so you made your way to the huddle and had a few glasses of cordial. Didn't yep. realise that there was a dust-up that was taking place. There's a hell of a lot going on this day that I didn't know about. <laughs> and we spoke last week to Gabby Allen, who uh, alerted us to the fact that him and Sheeds were getting into it, and Sheeds' false teeth came <laughs> flying out, and he jumped on it and buried him in the mud. We love that, but I think... Not sure if this is the one of the main players. Oh, it was he might according have been, to Gubby, yeah. He might have been the main player. He's a famous footballing name, been associated with the Collingwood Footy Club for a long, long time. His name's Eddie Hillgrove, and there'd be a lot of people listening and have a big smile on their face to hear that Eddie's joined us. Welcome to the Rabbit Hole Podcast, Ed. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me on. Well, we want to relive that 1990 grand final uh game, but also the dust up, and I've got pictures in front of me that suggest you found yourself right slap bang in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I did, unfortunately. Well, I didn't intend to. <laughs> I, 
uh, break it up and uh, be the mediator, but it didn't work out like that, unfortunately. So yeah, your role, your role was the footy manager. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, and they're still doing it with our BFL side today. Magnificent, unbelievable. So talk us through it. Just uh, your, your memories of it, where you were at the start of it, how you found yourself involved, and what might have just ensued. Well, as you know, uh, Tim was a pretty tense first quarter, and for the first time in a long time, Lee had actually swapped uh, Craig Kelly and uh, Michael Christian because Paul Salmon was starting to take a few strong marks. So we swapped them around, and uh, so things were only going okay. And yeah, the quarter time sounded, and the blue started to cross the road and uh, the other side of the ground. And, I was walking out there with my clipboard under my arm talking to Bernie Quinlan and I said, dear, I'm glad I'm not uh, anywhere near there. And all of a sudden I uh, heard the crowd roar and uh, I looked across to me right about uh, 10 metres away. Here's Gubby stamping on the ground. And I thought, what the bloody hell's he doing stamping on the ground? And the next minute, Chudy comes in and grabs hold of him by the collar and Gubby grabbed him back by the collar and I thought, gee, we can't have a coach and a general manager of football having a blue at quarter time in the MCG, so I thought I'd better go and break it up. So uh, as I went in to break it up, uh, an Essendon official uh, hit Gubby from behind and uh, I ran up and I said, well, mate, you should never hit anybody from behind. And uh, with that, he swung a punch at me and uh, I must Still been running, I think, at my momentum. Actually, uh, hit him on the side of the jaw. <laughs> and uh, another official come in, and he swung one at me as well. And fortunately, he missed because I was pretty slow. I wasn't quick to move, and uh, but fortunately, he was a bad shot. So I hit him, and he went down on the ground as well. And then. Uh, one of the other Essendon officials, Tim would probably know him well, he was at the club for years and years, uh, he'd come in like he was Muhammad Ali and he said, <laughs> fists up and uh, I said to him, and I liked him, I used to have a fair bit to do with him when we played one another and I said to him, look, to be quite honest with you, if you do that, you're going to get hurt. So I said, just <laughs> walk away. So he said, okay. So he fortunately <laughs> walked away and the, uh, one of the other officials that was on the ground, he uh, grabbed me round the legs and big Johnny Sign, and he you know, well, Tim, he's about three axe handles across, came charging in from the side, and uh, we both finished up on the ground. And uh, as it was, uh, Lee and Jimmy Manson come in and uh, broke it up, and uh, Lee and Jimmy uh, sort of pulled me off the ground. They grabbed an arm each, and uh, uh, Tim had... Uh, uh, Jimmy said to me, he said, gee, Eddie, you did well then. <laughs> and with that, uh, Bernie Quinlan, who picked up me folder with all my paperwork in it, with paperwork all over the ground, he'd come up and he'd put it all together for me, fortunately, <laughs> and, uh, which was very good because I had no idea where to start. <laughs> but uh, Lee, uh, Lee, to his credit, the two professionals said, come on, we've got a job to do now, and... Uh, I'll be totally honest with you. I was least team manager the whole time he was at Collingwood and we became quite close over the years. And he said, come on, we've got a job to do. And he gave the best quarter time speech uh, I've ever heard in my life because it was all around, uh, uh, don't retaliate. Uh, we thought the Essendon players would be looking for retribution over what happened with the, with the blue and, uh, Lee, uh, Lee said, if you uh, do exactly what you're supposed to do, 
uh, don't return anything that is thrown or uh, levelled at you. Play football this quarter and you will win the grand final for Collingwood in this quarter. And, of course, I used to always stand beside Lee and all his speeches and I was looking at the players' eyes and the blokes like Craig Kelly and Dennis Banks and Big Monkey. And honestly, I've never seen eyes roll around in their head before. <laughs> but their eyes were, were absolutely rolling around in their head. And Lee first couldn't get their attention. When he spoke, he spoke with his normal controlled voice. And in the end, he had to yell at them. Well, I reckon about six of them jumped when Lee uh, yelled at them and started to take a bit of notice of, uh, of what happened. So that was the quarter time part. But then it, at half time, Lee came down uh, just before the siren sounded and he said to me, Eddie, grab hold of Rowdy, which was Gavin Brown, and who was very, he was sitting next to me on the bench because I had to take Lee, a lot of Lee's messages at the time. And uh, Lee, uh, Browdy had no idea where he was. He was still very, very shaky and wonky. So he said, grab hold of Rowdy and uh, keep him upright. And uh, we walked over to the race and uh, as you know, in those days, there was only a cyclone fence in the races and they're only about, uh, probably about uh, four foot six high. And uh, Lee, uh, we walked out of the race and uh, the security saw Lee and I with Rowdy stopped at the race. Well, all of a sudden, there's about 35 security surrounding us. And as Terry Danaher went to walk up the race, Lee said to him, Danaher's, have a look at this bloke. He's going to come back and haunt you in the second half. Well, that set Terry off again. He tried to jump. <laughs> Rowdy didn't know what he, where he was. He was going to retaliate. Um, so it was really all on again there. But fortunately, uh, uh, Lee prevailed again, and uh, we walked up the race. And uh, wow. uh, But at that time, when I was... Uh, uh, after the quarter time, in, if you remember in those old days, East Melbourne had a police station up in the top corner yep. near Wellington Parade down. It was only a two-man station, I think, which shut at night. And anyhow, the local sergeant came up to me uh, as we were breaking up at quarter time to go back to the, their positions, and he said to me, if I see you throw one ball punch, he said, I'm going to arrest you. And I was still pretty fired up at the time. And I said, you see that boundary line over there? And he said, what's that got there? I said, your jurisdiction's on the other side of the boundary line. What happens inside the boundary line's got nothing to do with this. I believe it's the last. Go and do your job. And with that, seriously, I think he's... He was getting on in age. I think he must have been ready to retire. So he turned around and walked away. Walked <laughs> away. So I was lucky I never finished in jail that night, I think. Hey, Eddie, did you, did you get reported? Yes, I did, and I got reported. And as it was, I, I never heard a thing about it for about, oh, well, probably five, a week later. And Bob Stewart, who I'd actually wouldn't believe it, I'd been to a luncheon with Gabby Allen the day before at the police association, and Bob Stewart was there and sitting on our table. And he was the first man I ran into when I walked into the ground uh, on grand final morning. I was having a chat to Bob then. So anyhow, Bob rings me up at work and he says, Eddie, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, no worries, Bob. So he came out to see me the next day and he sat down in the office and he said, uh, you're probably aware of what I'm here for. Talk about the grand final. I said, well, I assumed that. And he said, 
can you tell me what happened? And he said, did you hit anybody? I said, no, I didn't. I said, I, I was breaking up a few scuffles, but I don't remember hitting anybody <laughs> because, as you know, grand final, everybody's away in the clouds. Uh, and he said he didn't hit anybody at all. And he said, no. So with that, he put his case up on his desk at work and he opened it up and he would have had 300 photos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it showed my fist uh, <laughs> two inches at a time but the side of uh, two people's face. And he said, you don't remember that? So I'm sorry, Bob, I don't. But obviously, it happens. Uh, yeah, so they reported me for that. Cost me uh, cost me $15,000, which wow. fortunately the club paid, which oh, is a lot of money in those days. Yeah. And they rubbed me out for 18 months. Gubby tried to get it cut down to the end of 1991, so I could start 1992, but I missed the first thing. It was the first four games of 1992 because Jeez. of the 18 months suspension. A little year yeah. off, Ed. That's a little spell after the grand final. That is an extraordinary story. An unbelievable uh, recollection. And you still. Well, mate, they partnership with uh, Lee in the box the whole the next year, and uh, that was an experience as well because Lee used to get a bit excited when the game was on, and he was like a coach with survivor stance. He was very edgy, and I was sitting next to him. I was writing down everything he said so he could remember what happened for later on in the game, and uh, I finished up with bloody Bruce Ribsonly every day. <laughs> Did you keep those notes, Eddie? Uh, they're still around somewhere, Tim, I think, amongst the archives here. But another, the following year, John Sinan, who you'd know well, like as I said, he's about three act handles across. I was walking in to the Essendon game, must have been the Anzac game, the following year. And uh, uh, well, we were using the old rooms down uh, at the MCG, which are no longer there. And uh, they were concrete pillars there. And I'm walking in with my case again, with all my paperwork and everything in it. And there's John Sine who jumped out behind the post with a pair of boxing gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Eddie. You're, you're a star, mate. We love those stories. It's going to be a massive part of um, of our recollections of this marvellous day. Uh, good luck for the rest of this year. Your footy club's flying at the moment, and you're, uh, you've got a great historical legacy there with the Collingwood Footy Club. So thanks for giving us some time this morning. Thanks for your kind words. Good luck to both of you guys. Good on you, Eddie. Wow. Eddie Thanks. Hillgrove there, Collingwood uh, legend. Tim. Just just to backtrack a couple of points there, yeah. uh, John Simon. He's unlucky, got reported. Very, very unlucky. John Simon was the Essendon doorman, right? right? So he was on the door letting people Three axe handles across. Big fellow. Yep. And uh, Bob Stewart was the AFL, VFL's investigating officer back who, in those days. Who was on a pretty, he thought he was on a pretty sure thing when he put to Eddie that uh, you did you hit anyone because he had 300 photos of him. <laughs> Doing just that. <laughs> it's time to talk farming for Kubota. For over 40 years, Kubota's been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. Gee, I've got a lot of farm issues I'm dealing with at the moment. I'll be able to report back next week on um, a problem, not a problem with my Kubota. Well, it is a problem with the Kubota generator. I can't turn it off. What do you mean you can't turn it off? Has it got an on off switch or not? No. What do you mean it doesn't have a switch? Doesn't turn off. It must. Well, it doesn't. That's the problem I've got right now. So this is your generator that is your backup power supply, is it? Yes. So the generator comes on when the batteries get to twenty percent. Right. Charge so automatic. Right. Generator on. So is that diesel or yeah, diesel? Yeah. Charges the 
batteries yes. back to and when it gets to sixty, it's supposed to just turn itself off, cut out, yeah. right? And then hopefully with a bit more sun, it only comes on, you know, half, maybe half a dozen times a year. That's that's the way the system works. Anyway, it came on the other, it comes on the other day and then just wouldn't come off at the sixty percent mark, so it just kept running. And you can't actually turn the damn thing off. Like you turn the key, it's there's only on and auto. They're the only two spots. Anyway, right. What if it, you just drain the petrol out? Well, of it, it just runs it? until the battery stops, right? right. Uh, sorry, until it's out of petrol. Mm. Then it stops, but the solar keeps telling the battery uh, turn on. So right. the battery's trying to turn on, and the battery goes flat. Wow, you got a problem. I've got a massive you problem, a, Tim. I reckon you can solve this. Well, I'm going down there on tomorrow. To I've, solve it? I've got an electrician. Have you got a, you got a, a person coming out? Yeah, I have. I've been on the, I spoke to my Kubota man. He said, look, you've got to determine whether it's an electrical issue before we get involved because it might be the starter um, solenoid. I beg your pardon? The starter solenoid. <laughs> I think that's what he said. The starter solenoid. I don't know if he said that or not. But apparently- no, no, You know what? What? That doesn't sound right. A solenoid? Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Okay. I know there's a solenoid, but I don't know that- What is a solenoid? Well, that's a, that's attached to the battery. Oh, is it? Hmm. You don't know that. Yeah, I do. You made that up. Maybe. <laughs> he In the Kubota generator, there's- oh, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, no, I can't. Why don't you get the person down that knows what he's doing? Well, no, that's my point. And then we'll fix He it. said he's not getting involved until you find out if it's electrical or not. You said you got some bird problems down there, Oh, too. yeah, farming. So I've got plovers, two plovers- Remember, I famously said to um, Phil Liggett, Phil, who's a, yeah. Phil Liggett, who's the you know, most recognisable voice in cycling. Mm. We interviewed him one day, and he's a, we knew that he was a big bird man. He's, he's a bird watcher, ornithologist. Yeah, that's right. And I've got these two plovers mm. that have been at our farm since I've been there, and every year they lay their eggs. And I said to him, "What?" And when they lay their eggs, they get very ornery. Mm. And I said to Phil Liggett, "What do I do with two angry plovers?" And he goes, "Oh, well." I've never really had to deal with two angry plumbers. <laughs> that was me, Phil Liggett. I, no, I knew that. Oh, I knew that. He said, he said, just pay them. Yeah. yeah. Pay them whatever, well, you, the, yeah, you whatever have, the invoice is. You shouldn't have left it so long to pay them. <laughs> anyway, they're back. They and lay their are eggs. They, they, you sure they're the same ones? Yeah. They lay their eggs on the roof. Mm. Right. In a nest? Yeah. yeah. It's only a real flat little nest. And then- Do they build like a mud nest or do they build no, like a- twigs. Twigs and stuff. Yeah, okay. And that one day I'm thinking- Okay, what, what happens when they hatch? Because the roof's, I don't know, pitched four metres or whatever, however yeah. high. So Nick and I were lying in bed one day and we we watched, opened the curtains in the morning and the plovers are making their noise. The next minute I see something just float down. Yeah. And it's one of the chicks. So that they hatch. Right. And then they've got to walk to the edge of the roof and jump. Right. And so the mum and dad plovers are sitting there waiting for them. Right. Three, there was four eggs. Three chicks jumped, and they just float down the ground, and, right. they, and then that was enough for the mother and father, and they took off with three of them, left one on the roof. And? Well, he's looking at them going, what about me? <laughs> they buggered they off. They flew off. Oh, well, they didn't fly, because the chicks are little, like, they're tiny little puff birds. Yeah, I know, but you said they floated, so they, they just- They jumped. They jumped. Did they the mum or the, mum or the dad push them out, or did they just jump themselves? They just jump. Right, like a little parrot, like a little, so like a tissue like, paper just sort of floating down and hitting the like ground. Like a mini cotton ball float. Just and what was the landing like? Well, not that, not that, um, not, not that great, but they right. survive. Mm. And so there's three, there's three little puffy chicks, the mm. two mothers, and one on the roof. Off they went. Right. They took off down right. to the dam. And how long did you watch this for? 
Well, then, well. Sounds like an exciting morning down there at Mun Ridge. Well, it was. And then I had to say, what about the poor old mate up on the roof on his own? Yeah, right? Yeah. And he was too. And eventually he jumped. And? But mum and dad and his three siblings were gone. So Nicky just picks him up and chased after them and sort of threw, said, here, you've forgotten one. Right. And did they accept? Yeah. He got back into the fold. Well, it's got a happy ending at least. Well, it had for at least two days. And then? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I tracked them for a couple of days because I was very interested to see what happened. You tracked them. And... Um, yeah, I had the binoculars out, and then I could, I could see the mother and father, and then I could sort of scan. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. a little one, and there's another little one. There's, then I counted three, yeah, and then I counted two, and then one, and I don't know where they went. Right, the old foxy loxy might have got old. Right, gee, you lead an exciting life down there. Well, hey, you're tracking the plovers for three days with your binoculars. That's right, and the and they're back. Uh, they're nesting again, and I'll have some new ones again this year. Can you film some of this for me? I'd love to sit down and watch it one day. Oh, it's smart ass. <laughs> you you had been there to watch these these chicks oh, take no. their first courageous oh, step no. is jumping off the roof. Yeah. That is farming 101. I tell you what, if you can get that up, I'd be sending it to uh, Sir Richard Attenborough. Was no, it Richard David. or David? I'd be sending it. To, it, it that, that, that That's a whole hour special in that. Thank you. I, I know it is. So anyway, that's um, what it's got to do with farming. I don't know, but uh, no, it's all about the farm. They're back, yeah. and it's all the things you've got to deal with from time to time. You got to know this sort of I stuff. I had a dead kangaroo the other day. I had to go and deal with that as well. Exactly. Yep. I had to get it in the in the bucket of the Kubota. I dug a big hole, right. dropped it in the hole. Have Period. you have you still got it or not? No, I didn't need to still deal with it at all. I dug a big hole and mm. put it in the big hole. I didn't have to chop it up, Tim. Have you got a sign outside your joint down there, Main Ridge, Gary Line? Animal husbandry? Have you got? Is that is you that the that, sign on your fence? I don't think that's the term. I don't. I'm sure that's not the term that you are trying to get at. Look up that up. <laughs> I'm, I'm very certain that that's not but what you're saying. Is not exactly what you're I, trying I, to say. I think it is. I, I think it is. What's that mean, um, Brooksy? What does husbandry mean, Brooksy? In that context. Oh, God. Could you get any bigger font for me, Brooksy? Hang on. I'm half blind. This will be uh, good. Is a is the branch of agriculture concerned with animals raised for meat, fibre, milk, or other products? There you go. Almost come to the end, Whispers. This is any little rabbit hole you want to dart down before we uh, sign off. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Got a big, vast listening audience. Our man at Cobram Estate Oils loves our podcast. His favourite. I um. Do you know what the other day? This is a great snack. I've run out, by the way. You know the um. You know the baguette that I tell you about around the corner from the bread club yeah. in Albert Park. Yeah. Unbe- unbelievable baguette. Okay, I've got a little French mate. He's been there. He reckons it's French as good. French mate? A little French mate, Gilles. Oh. He reckons it's as good as any bread that you can buy across France. And he, he he's, a, he's a bread oh, connoisseur. Rubbish. Anyway, I chopped it up the other day. Mm-hmm. All I did was dip it in some of the Cobram Estate Premium Oil. Oh, goodness. I thought I'd die. The garlic infused? No, just the plain oil. It well, is un. Not there's nothing plain about it. To be quite honest, try the garlic infused. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Have you tried the garlic infused? Yeah, I've tried that as well. How but I prefer. That? Well, I prefer the other. To be honest, hmm. I'd like just the plain, basic, premium with bread. With with not any bread, hmm. not any bread. The bread bit, club bread. You look a bit doughy. How much have you been eating of that bread? Very little. It <laughs> plays. It plays up with my, <laughs> my stomach. Um, Commonwealth, Commonwealth Games has been in the news big time. Oh. Big oh. 
Did Gary go Yesterday, down the political no, I'm not going, I'm not going political. Don't go political. No, it, uh, but you got a great, you got a strong connection to the Commonwealth. We host James and I hosted. He's already told this story, but we hosted the nine till twelve uh, slot for the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in two thousand and six, which was a great experience. Mm. Like, um, live television. We got in the studio. Got in there about six in the morning. And by nine o'clock, you know, the sports were starting, you know, a few of the results from the night before, we would get them in to interview them. Uh, I was out of the World Trade Centre, that's where we did it. So it was a great experience. I loved it. Yeah. Enjoyed it. And by about halfway through the second week, like it's every day. It was, yeah, getting a bit jaded. Yeah, a bit jaded. <laughs> so the bowls got, we won gold medal in the bowls, in the lawn bowls. Well, we had all these sports coming in, we knew nothing yeah. about. So you just had to improvise. Mm. Anyway, the Lawn Bowls won, and turns out that I think the man's name's Kelvin Kirko. James got a greater recollection for stories than I, JB. But he, they had to win, and he was a younger man, and he, they, they tied one on right. to celebrate the victory and got back to the yeah. hotel room and did a bit of um, yeah, a bit of work inside the room, you know, over-exuberant, right. broke a few things. Right. So they got there, and they said, look, they come, <laughs> got bowls, people came to us and said, look, you know, this is a big moment for us. We won the gold medal, but Kelvin's had a, you know, they've had a night out and there's been a bit of damage. So please, you know, our reputation. Oh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> yeah, we won't mention Don't mention it. it. No, no, shit, no, we won't mention that. So the interview's going along. Kelvin's pretty loose. Mm. He's not an old bloke. Kelvin was a young, he was pretty loose. A young bowler. So I kept looking at Jim and keep nodding my head at it and just to say, ask him, ask him, you know. And then Jim's trying to be straight. Oh, you know, you held that end and all, oh, you know, after three. And I'm looking, I'm starting to kick him. I'm going, go on, go on. <laughs> anyway, I knew he would. I just knew he would. <laughs> he couldn't help me. In the end, he goes, so what happened last night, Kelvin? <laughs> you went a bit like <laughs> Kelvin, Kelvin's face lit up. Oh, yeah, no, we had a big night. <laughs> the Blue and Bowls people over here, their face has gone white. <laughs> Finished the interview and they said, oh, well, yeah, the, 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 our people go, oh, no, we yeah, we probably shouldn't have gone down that path. <laughs> Jim blames me. Oh, you made me. You made me. I said, oh, of course I did, just because I was looking at you. But that was a good experience. Uh, Mark Nichols. Oh, I think about Mark Nicholas. When you say Commonwealth Games, I think about his performance uh, the Channel 9. He really held the whole commentary position together, didn't he? No. Like he was the he was the no, host back in the day. We did 9 to 12. Mm. And then he did what was called the handover. Right. And he did 12 till 3 on his own, right? That's a graveyard shift. Yeah. So we go, Jim and I again, novices, mm-hmm. you know, just making our way in the world. And we're doing it all off the cuff. No, yep. no, all that. Morning, everyone. Welcome, Commonwealth Games. Our oh, big night last night. We won three of the pool. And um, here's Susie O'Neill here. Uh, he, for his opening, would have a four page auto cue monologue ready right. to go. And so he would come to us in our last ad break and he'd go, right, oh, boys, uh, when you throw to me, um, say something along the lines of... Hang on. He's British. Yes, I know. This is, this is south of Britain. Right, okay. He said, so throw something. They say, uh, the MCG track event caught fire last night. Throw that for me and that'll lead me into my opening. And we go, oh, yeah, whatever, mate. No. So for the first couple of bits, first few days... Yep, and that's uh, end of day three. Over to you, Mark Nicholas. And I tell you what, last night the MCG caught fire. And then he'd go, thank you, Gary, and turn to his auto cue. Right. The MCG was a light light. And then away you go. Right. right. Okay. So it all followed. And we did that every yeah. day, every day, every day. Until? The last day. <laughs> and he goes, 
oh, yes, to show us and say, it's been an unbelievable event and Melbourne's, you know, been you know, done the country proud. We go, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. <laughs> so you go, and that's our end of here, James, and uh, let's go over to Mark Nicholas. And Nico, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a big night when it's finished tonight. And he's going, yes, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we're going to celebrate the night with a few beers. Nico, yes, yes, but yes, but Melbourne's done itself proud. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he wasn't that happy by the end of it. Anyway, that has been the rabbit hole. Uh, I love those stories. Episode number 22. Uh, enjoy it. And off into the day for you, Whispers. Cricket starts tonight. We'll have lots to talk about next week. All thanks to Tire Power. Thanks so much. This has been the rabbit hole with Gary Lyon and Tim Watson for Tire Power. Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer. Keeping you safe on the roads. Tyrepower.com.au Tune in to 1116SEN each Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday from 6 to 9am to hear SEN Breakfast with Gary and Tim.